BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of the show, where we get to sit down, make a new friend, and go inside the minds of some of the most innovative and creative forces shaping our world today. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit of news. Last week on the Friend of a Friend website, I added a new tab called Phone a Friend. I often get so many DMs about career advice, whether it's sharing my own from my own entrepreneurial journey, or maybe things that I've learned from my incredible guests on the show. So I thought it would be really fun to make my responses accessible to everyone on the podcast. If you go to friendofafriend.us right now and tap phone a friend, you will be able to submit career advice questions and I will answer them on my own dedicated career advice episode on the show. No questions are off limits. Nothing is too small. I want to hear all the nitty gritty details of what you're going through right now. And just let me know in the comments if you want to remain anonymous. If not, I will just call you by your first name. So excited to have these go live. I've seen a ton of advice questions already come through. So thank you to those who have sent them. I am so excited to get these live and for you guys to hear the responses. Now let's get to the episode. Today, we're talking to a real powerhouse in the fashion industry and someone who's broken barriers and been a champion for women everywhere. Today, we're joined by Stuart Weitzman's chief marketing officer, Banaz Garamani. Her resume in the business of fashion is extensive and honestly, insanely impressive. She's led strategy for brands like Gucci and Ralph Lauren, and then came her first C-suite executive job offer to be the CMO of Stuart Weitzman. She also happened to be nine months pregnant at the time. I get down with Banaz and hear her key to having it all, how she climbed the corporate fashion ladder, to how she's now worked with incredible collaborators like Serena Williams to bring maternity rights to the forefront of her work. I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you have an amazing week ahead. Here's my friend, Banaz Garamani. How are you? Good, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, where are you right now? Um, I'm in Connecticut. And recently moved here around March. So just starting to settle in after having been a New Yorker for all 15 years, it's been a bit of an adjustment. Was this like a pandemic move, I'm assuming? Yeah, definitely a pandemic move. I 
had my second daughter during the pandemic. And so we really needed space <laughs> and the privacy. I can understand that. I always come like raising kids in New York seems like an incredible feat in my mind. So I can imagine that having kids during COVID, the space was absolutely necessary. I'm so excited to hear your story today because you are someone that I deeply admire in the fashion industry. You're so creative. I think that you've brought so much change to so many brands and you've had such an incredible career that I know so many people listening right now will really, really love to hear from. So I would love to start at the beginning. How did you get your start in fashion? I will say the inspiration for me really started with my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother actually used to be a designer. Back in the day, she used to design her own clothes in Iran, which was very unusual for her time. I moved to the United States. I was 16 years old and sort of first generation immigrant. And I was told that the career at the time was all about tech and the big, you know, industry and the internet and e-commerce. So I really started the first half of my career in the tech world, studied management information systems and got into a number of consulting gigs, working for different retailers from mobile retail to grocery, the whole gamut of retail. I decided, okay, I need to take some time off you kind of fall into your career, especially early on when you're starting out and you don't really know which path you want to go. You just put one foot in front of the other and all of a sudden like eight years have gone by and you're doing something that you didn't necessarily think you would be doing. Definitely sounds right. I did my MBA. I went to France. I went to Singapore, this incredible program called INSEAD. And I really took the time to reflect what I wanted to do and how, you know, I would, if I could dream and do something that I love, what would that be? And it always came back to fashion. I started the first women's leadership conference at that school. And I kind of corralled the most inspiring women I could find and connected with them and heard their stories and shared their stories. And one of them saw potential in me and made the introduction to uh, Gucci at the time. And this was now almost 11, 12 years ago. And I never thought that I would be able to like break into one of my most coveted brands. And I remember the first introduction that I had, they were looking for, they were looking for people who had a different perspective that had, you know, bringing something to the industry that, that wasn't there before. And even though advertising and PR and events had always been part and parcel of the fashion industry, marketing really didn't exist the way traditional marketing exists now. And they took a chance on me and I became the director of marketing for North America at Gucci, which that leap doesn't happen very often, <laughs> I would say. There's something so interesting that I feel is happening right now. And I almost want to debunk this a little bit. I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I have a friend who is an incredible photographer, so talented, so skilled. And she just got hired for a really incredible marketing job at a very well-known fashion brand. And I find what you were saying earlier about how your career path was non-linear at all. I wonder what your response is to maybe people right now that want to be in marketing that think they have to go the traditional route of like going to school for communications, maybe getting a master's in, in marketing, whatever that is. It's so wonderful to hear you say that you got hired for your perspective. And I, I'm curious to hear your response on what a traditional route could be like versus the route you took. You know, I think, I think people's careers, the whole trajectory has changed. It used to be that you would 
kind of gain a specialty in an industry or a field. And then you would sort of grow within that. And all of a sudden you'd be doing that for 30, 40 years. Those paths still exist, but more and more, I think you'll find that each of us is going to have at least three or four different careers throughout our lifetime, maybe even more, right? Because the world around us is changing so much. So as the ecosystem changes, like the media landscape has totally changed. The fashion industry has totally changed. Even retail is all the institutions that we know are changing. So they are looking for transferable skills. I do think the way I've always approached it has been like, what are the skills that you have? What are your strengths? Build on those. What are the skills that you need in whatever path you want to go? And it's more about the skill that you can acquire and then bring to the table than it is necessarily that specific type of experience. Now, look, there's traditional jobs like in science or medicine that you really do need to kind of gain that experience over time. But even in those places, like they're looking for people that have a business mind as well as a scientific mind because they're trying to be able to grow. Like every single doctor that I talk to is always thinking about, well, how do I grow my business? How do I connect to my consumer? How do I provide personal care? All these things that were not traditionally thought through in specific industries. So I would say, you know, follow your passion. If you love what you do, you're going to do a great job at that because it's not going to feel like work. And if you find that you want to change your path, there's always a way. It's harder. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's definitely harder, but you can always find a way. I completely agree with that. I have so many friends now that I feel like are being hired for great marketing jobs. And at the end of the day, what they're bringing to the table is this really unique skill set of how to navigate social media. Yeah. I mean, we have to keep evolving. For example, LVMH just announced that they're trying to hire a whole slew of people from Generation Z because they want to change the way that they're thinking and working and connecting, that, you know, all of a sudden opens the door for so many because now they're looking for a different set of perspectives. And I just think, you know, it it really comes down to you and how you want to navigate your path and how you craft your own story. So you were at Gucci, obviously. You're at Ralph Lauren. And today you are the CMO of one of the most beloved shoe brands, Stuart Weitzman. How did you once you got the job, go into the company and figure out what the narrative and marketing plan would be based on how you authentically felt the brand? I would say if I have a theme, I've always been kind of (laughs) helping businesses and brands transform. So either at the beginning of my career, it was about transforming their business model and going e-commerce and integrating tech. The second half of my career has been all about transforming brands, helping them evolve with the new generations and, and, you know, keeping them relevant with the times. And I had the honor, true honor of working with Mr. Lauren and celebrating the 50 year anniversary of his brand. And I truly learned what storytelling meant with him and his team of talented uh, people of many, many generations. And I really kind of got my creative stripes. I was not someone who thought, I I never thought I was a creative person. I really thought I was more of like the logical, you know, process oriented person. I never thought that I was a creative, but I really learned that anyone is creative and you can tap into that. And it was an incredible experience working for such a global brand at such a pinnacle moment um, in its history. And I think what's interesting is that Stuart Weitzman, the both 
worlds that kind of made up my career came together. When I joined Stuart Weitzman, I became the chief marketing officer, but I was also asked to take on global e-commerce. So all of a sudden, my past <laughs> in tech and my present in fashion marketing came together in a way that was so perfect because I was able to really capitalize on pushing the brand forward, but also driving the business in this digital world, which now, especially after the pandemic, is like, Huge. you know, everything yeah. is, dri is driven by the, the e-commerce and digital experience. Have you read the book Big Magic before? I have not. So it's a book by Elizabeth Gilbert, who also wrote Eat, Pray, Love for people listening who might be big fans of that. But I really resonated with what you were saying earlier of maybe not having so much of a creative side and having to earn your stripes in that and find it. Because I do really think that today we really quantify ourselves. Okay, I'm not creative at all. I can't do that. I put myself in this box. If anyone listening yeah. feels that way, Big Magic is an incredible book. It's really geared towards people that don't feel like they have that spark and getting them out of their comfort zone to figure it out. So I love hearing you say that. And for people listening, I thought that would be a good recommendation if they related to it as well. I would love to. I would love to hear it. And, I, and I'm definitely going to read it. But there's this whole notion of, of creative confidence as well, right? That kind of building that creative confidence. And it's so interesting. In business school, they classify you either as a poet or a quant or engineer. So you're either a poet and you're, you've got sort of the softer skills or you're an engineer or a quant and you're, you know, finance and math and science driven, which I don't believe really is, is a fair assessment. I think we are a multitude of those things. You may lean heavier in one or the other, but we all have creative skills. I see that in my children. You're born with creativity. We all have innate creativity. We just hold it back as we grow up. <laughs> I think that's what's honestly fueled me in everything. I have always felt as though if I am in a position of discomfort, I'm growing. And I'm most interested in putting myself, every, every job I've taken, it has always been, oh my God, I've never done this before. Can I really do this? I don't know if I can do this. But I've always been excited by it because I'm like, I'm going to learn something new and apply my skills. And that's always been what has driven me and has been exciting to me. Something that you worked on this year, maybe it was last year, but I got to see it this year, that was deeply moving to me. And I think really the first of its kind for marketing in general was the incredible campaign that you worked on with Serena Williams and her daughter, Olympia. It really was this, you know, we see so many incredible campaigns about motherhood, but this felt really different. This felt like putting an athlete up there. And yes, we know her as an athlete, but... I felt like her title as a mother came first. And that really was, I, I think that was a beautiful point to make, an important one. And I would love to hear a little bit about how that collaboration came together and why you thought that story was the most important to put on the billboard. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's, it was a, definitely a labor of love. You know, genuinely, I can say that Serena Williams has been such an inspiration to me and so many sort of women that I know. And I, you know, truly when I was interviewing for, for my job as CMO, it was my first C-suite title. It was like a big, you know, jump in my career. I was nine months pregnant at the time. And I truly was having one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, can I really do this? <laughs> can I really take on this big 
career moment and have like my, you know, my first child. And there just weren't a lot of examples out there that gave me that courage. And Serena truly was one of the few examples that I could cite. And I had heard her story and I'd been following her, you know, the fact that she had had played the Australian Open while she was four months pregnant and won. And then her constant determination to be able to kind of achieve her goals that she has set and keep trying every single time when people are like, why don't you retire? And she's like, no, I love to play and I want to achieve my goal and I'm not done yet. You know, she's doing it on her own terms. So when I came to Stuart Weitzman, I mean, that really was sort of a personal story for me, but we were really thinking about how do we transform this brand and how do we keep pushing things forward? And I felt it was really important to have a representation of women that that could be more relatable, right? That is more relatable in that sense. It was very important for me to have a more diverse representation. And I felt that Serena embodied so many of those things. So I was so thrilled when we were able to kind of bring her on board as a brand ambassador. And it was right as she was going through all the different matches and we were trying to manage the schedules. And when we had the opportunity and, you know, all of this was going on, the pandemic hit, there was all of this uncertainty in the world. And she really was a pillar of strength, of hope, of optimism for women during a really difficult time that everybody was going through. And putting Olympia and and Serena together, really, it was sort of like a dream. It was like, oh my God, it would be amazing to see the two of them together. And it would really help just warm everybody's heart. And I felt it was important for people to know her story because she's so many things. You know, people know her as an athlete and an incredible athlete. She's an entrepreneur. She's a philanthropist. And yes, above all else, she's a mother. And I connected to her as a mother. And I felt that it was something that our consumer would really connect with as well. So I'm really proud of that campaign. It it will go in the books for me as like, you know, a personal... love. (laughs) In learning more about you, I was really moved and still am, of course, very moved by how you've been able to bring your perspective as a mother into the work that you do. And I know that the Serena campaign obviously is a shining example of that. But as you mentioned earlier, you took on this role in a C-suite position at nine months pregnant, which I think for someone like me, if I'm being blatantly honest, I'm 27 years old. I am a woman. I am, you know, working in fashion, t- trying to expand and grow my career. That is something that I don't often hear about. And it, you know, in learning more about you and, and reading that, it, it isn't something that I feel like I've read often. I have so many female listeners. I know if I'm moved by your story, I know so many of them will be too. And I would love to hear if you feel comfortable sharing what was most supportive to you during that time of being nine months pregnant and taking on that role. I know we have so many conversations around the pay disparity in the workplace and also maternity leave in the country as a whole. And would love to hear your experience of what was really most supportive to you during that time. I will say that right now, there's a lot of discussion around how motherhood is being valued. And, you know, you never hear the term working dad. You only hear the term working mom (laughs) as though it's unusual for a mom to be working. (laughs) And oftentimes people don't realize that, you know, taking care of a household and a child 
is work. It is a lot of work. So oftentimes you're doing, you know, multiple jobs. So when I was taking on that role, I mean, truly I was, I was scared, <laughs> even if I didn't show it, you know, you had to like, there's nothing crazier than walking into, uh, you know, a team full of people who are looking at you as like, okay, who is this leader? And am I going to trust you to lead me to this next chapter? And why should I respect you? And why should I listen to you? And you're trying to make, you know, a great first impression and you're humongous, right? Like I had, and I couldn't even wear the shoes. I was trying to like walk in and look fashionable at the same time, but I was really surprised. I was welcomed with open arms, not only by the leadership team at Stuart Weitzman that did not even bat an eye when they found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> they literally, like, I thought, okay, you know, they could bow out. I know just process. They could easily say that they found another candidate, but they did not bat an eye and they like totally wholeheartedly supported me in that and actually gave me even more responsibility when I joined by taking on e-commerce and they had complete confidence and support. And I think that meant a lot, right? And in, in that leadership role, I also had an incredible team. Like I will say, you know, one of the first people who reached out to me, Jackie Seaman, who is the head of communications. She's also a mom of two boys and she immediately like connected with me, welcomed me and helped me along throughout the journey to just be like, I get it. Let me know if you need anything, if you need to talk about this, if you need a place to pump, this is where you pump. Like I had, I felt like I immediately had a community of people who were supporting me, but truly I will say I could not have done it if I didn't have such an amazing husband. I love the shout out. <laughs> truly, truly, really like every single day. I don't think it's acknowledged enough, but I remember when I was taking the opportunity and him and I were talking about it and he said, 1000%, you have to do this and I'm here and I support you and I, we will figure this out. And I talk a lot about the notion of like, you know, couples that work. There's this book that I reference a lot about how, it's a partnership, whatever relationship that you're in. And sometimes one of you moves forward. Sometimes the other one kind of supports the other, but it really is a partnership that you kind of build. And, you know, every day is a struggle, but he gave me the courage. He gave me the courage because I felt like I had the support. I remember being in college and hearing so many stories of women that I knew that were pregnant. And I remember even hearing a story of a friend of a friend no, no pun intended, who was pregnant and actually hid her pregnancy for a while because she was so terrified of being fired because she wouldn't be able to do her job. And she was so afraid of maybe her pay being cut. And, you know, the U.S. is actually one in six countries around the world that doesn't have yeah. national paid leave for mothers, which I think is truly so sad. I know that we have a plan in play, hopefully to bring, I think it's four weeks, but I wonder in your experience what you think if there was one thing that you could change in businesses right now that you think would be most effective for mothers what would it be i think a national paid leave is like it's just like yeah. basic common sense right like i it's crazy that in this day and age we're still sitting here talking about it and it's not automatically available to us when so many i mean so many of my friends and you know, former classmates and colleagues that work abroad take the year off and fully have that support. And they come back and they pick up where they were in their careers and they continue moving forward. They are given the time to heal. They are given time to bond. 
I actually think it's just as important for women as it is for men to be able to have that time. And I think if, if we're really going to be changing the conversation, the expectation for both men and women at home and at work truly needs to be equal. It's not just about, you know, women being able to be at home and men being able to be at work. Like we've got to give men the possibility to also take paternity leave and be at home. So women who want to go back to work can go back to work, right? It's got to be a balance. If there's one thing that I would change, I think there is, you know, for children under the age of five, there is no public school option. So for women who are having to work, you're either going to have to get a nanny or you have to pay a lot of money for daycare or private school all the way up until the age of five, which is a big reason why a lot of women do end up dropping out of the workforce because they have to stay home to take care. There is no other option. You're either working for someone else to take care of your child or you're going to stay home and take care until you have affordable options to be able to take care of your children. That to me is crazy. You should have the option to be able to do either. If you want to stay at home, absolutely, you should be able to stay at home. And if you want to go back to work, you should have the options to be able to go back to work. And I think institutions from government to businesses should support that because by having women in the workforce, we collectively do better. The economy is better. <laughs> the, the, the organizations are better. And so I think it's a huge miss that we don't have this available. And I see it firsthand. I mean, I feel lucky that I do have, yes, I have a support system. My husband, you know, is an entrepreneur and he's moving full force with his business and his projects as well. But I, even with the support that I have with nanny and childcare, it's very challenging. I so appreciate hearing that from you. And I, again, I love seeing the work that you've done, especially within Stuart Weitzman. I think it's an amazing it's an amazing lesson in marketing and bringing your authentic story and using an incredible platform to share that with so many people that can relate to your story too. Yeah, I, and I feel truly, if you can see it, you can be it. I struggled so much with you know finding examples around me. I was searching right. for help. And I remember like reaching out to a few people that I knew and, and I really didn't know how to connect. And I, I think it's so important to not only share your vulnerabilities, but to also pay it forward. So I really try to connect, you know, with young women and men who are thinking about how to either get into the careers or navigate things. It's a really difficult time for everybody right now. I so appreciate how challenging it is to try to figure out your path forward with all of the hurdles and the uncertainty now. So whatever I can do to, to impart any bit of wisdom, I'm happy to do. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit to hear a little bit about what goes on in your marketing brain. As someone who is, I'm sure, in the weeds of it 24-7, I'd love to hear what are some campaigns or maybe initiatives that you've seen in the past couple of years that have felt successful to you? Like what really moves you as someone who heads the charge of marketing of such an incredible brand? What I think fundamentally, the two things that excite me the most really comes down to how do you connect from a cultural standpoint, like truly connect to a cultural movement, a cultural moment. That to me, like really transcends how brands are able to like market themselves to truly becoming ingrained and loved by their, their fans and their, their customers. 
So I'm really fascinated by brands who are able to like really successfully do that. And I think like, you know, for example, some of the stuff that you're seeing right now, I mean, Valencia is just unbelievable, right? In terms of how they're coming out in such unexpected and exciting ways of connecting to moments and creating moments of culture. Like that Simpsons collaboration was just brilliant. You know, when you see that, you're like, oh my it God, really this was is so amazing. <laughs> I saw so many tweets during that time just praising that, being like, this was the peak of Fashion Week. This was so incredible, so much fun. And to me, I think fashion felt so stiff when I was growing up. It felt like this very poised thing that felt little bit inaccessible. And so to me, when brands make it fun, like a campaign with Serena and Olympia or (laughs) something that brings in the Simpsons, to me, that's where I think the future is, the the inspiration, the fun, something that feels relatable that everybody can be a part of. It cuts through. It really cuts through. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that was, you know, one of the most recent things that I feel like really helped cut through. And it was super interesting, innovative way of moving things forward. Love seeing, you know, what brands are doing in general. And I personally am really fascinated by how right now we've been talking about this internally a lot, but like this ecosystem of how influencers are becoming commerce platforms. And then you've got this merging of entertainment and cars that's happening with the big things like Amazon and Netflix. The whole landscape of how media platforms and social media influencers and celebrities, and now this world of entertainment is sort of evolving. I find truly fascinating when you see Beyonce and Rihanna releasing their albums or their new collection on HBO and Amazon Prime, that to me is super interesting as a way of like really all of a sudden creating moment culture, but then becoming forms of truly integrated entertainment beyond just a product or beyond just a song becomes a true immersive experience. Speaking of that, I've loved hearing you talk just now about all these things within the marketing world that, you know, maybe the general public isn't so privy to, but People who are listening right now are probably here because they want to be in marketing and in fashion and to some extent. I'm curious to hear what you read every day or, you know, what is like a resource that you go to every day to keep yourself on the pulse? Because you really seem to be someone that is like so deeply ingrained in everything that's out there right now. I definitely like from it from a publication standpoint, look, business of fashion and WWD. And before I got into fashion, you know, I didn't know that I was supposed to be reading those publications and someone, you know, pointed it out to me and I was like, this is great. You know, it's a great place to be able to get that information for a business standpoint. And really, I am fascinated by how, you know, fashion companies and businesses work. I really like the perspectives that I get from business of fashion because they really try to dig deep um, and they're right on it in terms of like, you know, talking about the trend that everyone's talking and giving a, a deep dive. Vogue business is also one that I'm really appreciating more and more. And then from a creative standpoint, I mean, I try to stay on pulse of like what's going on from a creative standpoint. Um, More and more, I rely a lot on the impression and sort of Clio happens to be a place to kind of discover if you're really into like campaigns and advertising and things like that. Those are really good places to kind of get that information. As someone who is a master marketer, master communicator, I would love to hear what your best piece of advice for people listening right now who might want to get into the marketing world and are faced now more than ever with telling really authentic stories. 
Oh my God. It's the art of storytelling. I've really come to appreciate that. I think if I have a bit of advice, like, and you're trying to break into to the market, whatever industry that is, I oftentimes tell people like, okay, you know, people focus so much on a resume and like, these are my bullet points and this is what I did. And, and they're trying to really portray impact. And, you know, this is, this is what I've learned and this is what I've contributed. And these are all important, but what it really comes down to is how you tell your own story and you connect that story to the person that you're talking to. So really taking the time to understand, and, you know, we, you're, you're a master storyteller yourself. Like you take the time to research, you take the time to understand what truly matters to that brand, to that business And then finding ways to know like, okay, how am I going to connect the dots of what I know, what I can do and how I'm going to be able to help them. It really comes down to connecting the dots and knowing your own story and knowing how to connect that story and practicing that. And it'll evolve over time, right? That will evolve over time. But I think it really comes down to being your authentic self it comes through when you're telling your story and then knowing how to be able to connect it to the brand, the person, the company that you're talking to. And that's what people connect with more than just the facts and the figures and the accomplishments. These are all important, but if, if you can't you know, explain it or sell it to them, it, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to go anywhere. Thank you so much, Banaz. This was so much fun getting to talk to you. I appreciate it. And it, I enjoy your podcast so much. So thank you for helping to tell these important stories. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.